Section 2. Engine Repair. Chapter 12 Motive Power Types, Spark Ignition, C, Engines. Chapter 13 Engine Mechanical Testing. Chapter 14 Engine Lubrication Theory. Chapter 15 Lubrication System Service. Chapter 16 Cooling System Theory. Chapter 17 Cooling System Service. Chapter 18 Engine Removal and Replacement. Chapter 19 Cylinder Head Components. Chapter 20 Engine Block Components. Chapter 21 Engine Machining. Chapter 22 Engine Assembly. Chapter 12 Motive Power Types, Spark Ignition, C, Engines. Natef Tasks. There are no Natef Tasks for this chapter. Knowledge Objectives. After reading this chapter, you will be able to K12001 Describe the principles of physics that allow internal combustion engines to operate. K12002 Explain the difference between external combustion engines and internal combustion engines. K12003 Explain the relationships among pressure, temperature, and volume. K12004 Describe force, work, and power and how they are measured. K12005 Describe the operation of the four-stroke engine. K12006 Explain the five events common to all internal combustion engines. K12007 Explain bore, stroke, displacement, and compression ratio. K12008 Describe how the Atkinson and Miller cycle engines differ from conventional four-stroke engines. K12009 Identify and describe the purpose of four-stroke engine components. K12010 Describe the major components in a short block assembly. K12011 Describe the functions and components of the cylinder head. K12012 Describe the difference between a cam in block engine and an overhead cam OHC, engine. K12013 Describe the valve train its components, and their function. K12014 Describe intake and exhaust manifold. K12015 Describe the operation of two-stroke engines. K12016 Explain the differences between two- and four-stroke engines. K12017 Describe the operation of the rotary engine. K12018 Explain the basic principles of operation and components of the rotary spark ignition engine. Skills Objectives There are no skills objectives for this chapter. Introduction K12001 The internal combustion engine is an irreplaceable part of modern society. We rely on it to haul food and water, deliver passengers to their destinations, and even save lives. Over time, the internal combustion engine has seen many changes, however, the basics have remained similar, figure 12-1. They have mostly just been refined. In this chapter, we cover the types of spark ignition engines that are available, identify the major components that make up the engine, and describe how these components operate together. We also compare them briefly to diesel, two-stroke, and rotary engines. Figure 12-1A Antique flathead engine B. Modern dual overhead cam engine 
principles of thermodynamic internal combustion engines. K12002 Thermodynamics is generally defined as the branch of physical science that deals with heat and its relation to other forms of energy such as mechanical energy. In this chapter, we discuss how heat energy is used in the internal combustion engine to produce power and make work happen. In automotive applications, the useful effect is to move a vehicle down the road as well as provide motive, moving, power for all of the onboard systems. Engines used for motive power may be classified as external combustion or internal combustion engines. External combustion means that the fuel is being burned outside of the engine, and internal combustion means the fuel is burned inside of the engine. Two examples of the external combustion engine are the steam engine, and the Stirling engine, figure 12-2. Whether an engine operates on internal combustion or external combustion, they both are called heat engines because they run off heat energy, which is why a basic understanding of thermodynamics is critical to understand how they operate. At one time, external combustion engines, such as steam engines, were used to power almost all equipment. Steam engines are the best example of external engines powering equipment such as farm tractors, railroad trains, automobiles, boats, and ships, and more. Even a steam-powered airplane was produced, although it never became popular. In a steam engine, steam is created in an external boiler, external combustion, and used to push a piston back and forth in a cylinder. Most steam engines applied steam alternately to each side of the piston, so the piston was powered in both directions. One problem with steam engines is that they take a relatively long time to generate steam pressure, so you could not just hop in a steam-powered car and take off. The boilers also presented an explosion hazard if they generated too much pressure or if the boiler weakened due to rust. You are the automotive technician. You are working in the back shop when a salesman from the new car sales department asks if you can answer some questions for a customer. The customer's previous car was totaled in a parking lot accident, and he is very interested in a couple of cars on the lot. He has some technical questions that need to be answered, and the service manager selected you to answer the questions. You greet the customer, and he asks you the following questions. I see a nice diesel pickup truck that I could use on the farm. How does a compression ignition engine operate differently from a spark ignition engine? My son would like me to buy that RX-8. How does a rotary engine operate differently from a piston engine? As I am looking at specifications on the vehicles, what is the difference between horsepower and torque? What is meant by overhead cam? What is an interference engine? Figure 12-2 External Combustion Engines A. Steam Engine B. Stirling Engine The Stirling Engine is also an external combustion engine. This engine uses two cylinders with a passageway that connects both cylinders. One cylinder houses the power piston, and the other, the displacer piston. The power cylinder is heated, and the air expands, pushing the piston down. The hot air is then pushed into the displacer cylinder, where it is cooled. Air moves back and forth between the cylinders to expand and cool, which drives the engine. 
It holds promise as an alternative source of power but has not become popular for transportation because its output cannot be easily varied. Solar-powered Stirling engines are gaining popularity as home power sources because they operate on free solar energy, which also means there are no byproducts of combustion to worry about. Stirling engines can run almost silently and therefore can be used near people without disturbing them. The internal combustion engine has almost completely replaced the external combustion engine, and has been around for well over a century. It is still the favored mode of power for the transportation industry, whether for on-road applications, cars, trucks, buses, etc., or for non-road applications, tractors, trains, ships, etc. This chapter focuses on spark ignition internal combustion engines, as they are the most widely used engines in modern automobiles. Refer to the Alternative Fuel Systems chapter for more information on hybrid vehicles, flex-fuel vehicles, pure battery electric vehicles, BEVs, fuel cell vehicles, FCVs, and other alternative fueled vehicles. Gasoline, spark ignition, and diesel, compression ignition, engines are prime examples of internal combustion engines. Fuel is burned inside the internal combustion engine. According to Charles's law, when a gas is heated, it expands. Because fuel contains energy in chemical form, when it is burned in a sealed combustion chamber, it creates high pressure that pushes on a movable piston. The moving piston produces power to do work. The internal combustion engine, ICE, can be classified in two ways, as a reciprocating piston engine or as a rotary engine. Piston engines use a crankshaft to convert the reciprocating movement of the pistons in their cylinder bores into rotary motion at the crankshaft. The rotary engine uses a rotating motion rather than reciprocating motion. Both the piston and the rotary engine are described in greater detail later in this chapter. Piston engines are either spark ignition, C, engines or compression ignition, CI, engines. In C engines, liquid fuels such as gasoline, ethanol, methanol, or butanol are compressed and ignited by an electrical spark, which jumps across the air gap of a spark plug in the combustion chamber. Timing of combustion is totally reliant on when the spark jumps across the electrodes of the spark plug, figure 12-3. In diesel engines, air in the sealed combustion chamber is compressed so tightly that it becomes hot enough to ignite the fuel as soon as it is injected into the combustion chamber. Timing of the combustion process is reliant on when the fuel is injected, therefore, CI engines do not use spark plugs, figure 12-4. Refer to the Compression Ignition Engine chapter for a more complete description of diesel engines. Figure 12-3 Combustion in an C Engine Figure 12-4 Combustion in a CI Engine Principles of Engine Operation, Physics K12003 Engines operate according to the unchanging laws of physics and thermodynamics. Understanding the physics and science involved with an engine will help you diagnose engine problems. For example, knowing that pressure rises when the volume of a sealed container is reduced will help you understand the need for sealing the container for maximum power. Realize too that when molecules are tightly packed together, they produce far more expansion pressure during combustion than when they are not. Valves and ports in the engine's cylinder head, S 
provide a means of sealing the combustion chamber. If the valves leak, the pressure in the cylinder will not rise as it should during the compression stroke of the piston, figure 12-5. If there is too little pressure squeezing the air-fuel mixture together in the cylinder, the mixture will not get packed tightly enough, and less engine power will be developed when it is ignited. A good example of the importance of compression is the burning of black powder in open air, it produces fire and smoke, but no explosion. If the same powder is wrapped tightly, it becomes a firecracker, or even a stick of dynamite, exploding the wrapping, and producing a big bang. In the same way, more power is produced when air and fuel are compressed into a tightly packed space. Figure 12-5 If the cylinder has a leak, the pressure will not rise, making combustion inefficient. Figure 12-6 Pressure changes temperature. A. As pressure goes up, temperature goes up. B. As pressure goes down, temperature goes down. Pressure and temperature. Recall that according to Charles's law, in a sealed chamber the pressure and temperature of a gas are directly related to each other. As pressure rises, so does temperature. As pressure decreases, so does temperature. For example, think of a cylinder with a movable plunger at one end. Figure 12-6 This plunger seals tightly in the cylinder so that no air can escape past the plunger. Installed on the other end of the cylinder are a pressure gauge and a thermometer. As we push the plunger in, the air pressure rises in the sealed cylinder as the air molecules are squeezed together. As the air molecules are squeezed together more tightly, the pressure and the temperature rise as a result of friction between the air molecules as they bounce off each other with greater force. The air in the cylinder heats up as this happens, so we see not only the pressure rise on the pressure gauge but also the temperature rise on the thermometer. The same amount of heat is in the cylinder as when uncompressed, but when it is compressed, the heat is concentrated, thus, the temperature rises. Test your understanding. When the plunger is pushed into the cylinder, and the air pressure and temperature are increased, what will happen to the temperature if the plunger is held steady at that point? If you said it would stay the same because the pressure stayed the same, you would be wrong. Because heat travels from hot areas to cold areas, the heat would slowly transfer to the surrounding air until the temperatures are equalized. And yes, that would lower the pressure inside the cylinder slightly, as the temperature went down. Once the cylinder is cool, what happens to the temperature of the air inside it if the plunger is pulled way back so there is a vacuum inside? If you said it would be colder than outside air, you would be correct. Reducing pressure reduces temperature, even if that means below the outside temperature. And that is the principle we use in an air conditioning system. To find out more, turn to the HVAC principles chapter. A diesel engine uses this principle to ignite the fuel injected into an engine cylinder. The air is compressed so tightly that it becomes hot enough to ignite the fuel when it is sprayed into the cylinder. This is why diesel engines are called compression ignition engines. Again, using the example of a plunger in a cylinder, what happens when the plunger is pulled outward? Pulling out the plunger reduces gas pressure and gives the molecules more room to move. They affect each other less and temperature decreases. Thus, 
A drop in pressure produces a lower temperature because even though the same amount of heat is contained in the cylinder, the heat is more spread out. Looking at a related scenario, what happens to pressure when the gas temperature changes? When a gas is heated, its molecules start to move more quickly and require more space. Heating a gas in a sealed container increases the pressure in the container. Thermal expansion, figure 12-7. Cooling a gas has the opposite effect. As the molecules slow down, they demand less space. As a result of cooling a gas in a sealed container, the pressure drops. Figure 12-7 Temperature changes pressure. A. As temperature goes up, pressure goes up. B. As temperature goes down, pressure goes down. Temperature and energy. The temperature of a gas is one measure of how much energy it has. The more energy a gas has, the more work it can do. The heating of gas particles makes them move faster, which produces more pressure. This pressure exerts more force on the container in which the gas is located, which is how an ice functions. Pressure is first raised quite a bit through compression, and then much higher through combustion of the air-fuel mixture. Burning the air-fuel mixture increases the heat temperature inside the container tremendously, which creates the necessary pressure to produce work. The more energy the air-fuel mixture has, the more force it exerts on the piston, and the more work the piston can do, figure 12-8. This principle takes place during the power stroke, and pushes the piston down the sealed container. Latent, stored, heat energy exists in various kinds of fuels, it is released to do work when the fuel is ignited and burned. Types of fuels that contain latent heat energy include liquid fuels such as gasoline, diesel, and ethanol, gaseous fuels such as natural gas, propane, and hydrogen, and solid fuels such as gunpowder, wood, and coal. Latent heat energy is often measured and expressed as British thermal units, abbreviated to 1 to equals the heat required to raise the temperature of 1 pound, Lb, of water by 1 degree Fahrenheit, 17.22 C. Gasoline has a comparatively high BDU per gallon rating of around 14,000 BDU. Diesel fuel is even more energy dense, however, at around 25,000 BDU per gallon. Coal has a much lower BDU rating, which is one reason why both the home heating and the transportation rail industries have moved from coal to petroleum, that is home heating oil and diesel fuel, for better energy efficiency. Transport and storage of a liquid fuel is also much easier. B. Figure 12-8 Burning a compressed gas increases temperature, producing more pressure, and increased force. Pressure and volume. Pressure and volume are inversely related, as one rises, the other falls. A cylinder with a pressure gauge, and movable piston is a good example. It contains air, and as the piston is pushed in, the inside air is forced into a smaller volume. At the same time, the pressure gauge shows an increase in pressure. It is this increase in pressure that allows the pump to do its work. When the piston is pulled out, the volume occupied by the gas grows larger, and the pressure drops. A larger volume has less gas pressure, and when the volume is reduced, the gas pressure rises. Keep in mind that larger pressures are desirable to increase the amount of work done in an engine, figure 12-9.
Figure 12-9 Volume Effects Pressure Force, Work, and Power K-12004 Effort to produce a push or pull action is referred to as force. A compressed spring applies force to cause, or resist, movement. A tensioned lifting cable applies force to cause lifting movement. Force is measured in pounds, kilograms, or newtons. When force causes movement, work is done, figure 12-10. For example, when the compressed spring or the tensioned lifting cable causes movement, work is performed. Without movement, work cannot be performed even if force is applied. Work is equal to distance moved times force applied. If the lifting cable of a hoist lifts a 250 pounds engine 4 feet in the air, the amount of work done is equal to 4 feet times 250 pounds, or 1,000 foot-pounds of work. Work is measured in foot-pounds, FTLB, watts, or joules. Work can only be accomplished when something is moved. Figure 12-10 Work Technician Tip Holding a heavy starter motor in place while trying to get the bolts started is not technically work, it is force. Although it seems like you are working hard, your arm muscles twitching as you stand under the vehicle, and hold the part in place, you are not performing work in the true physics sense. It takes movement, along with force, to qualify as work. So lifting the starter from the ground to its position on the engine is work, but holding it there is not work. Understanding the difference between these two terms will give you a good foundation for understanding power. The rate or speed at which work is performed is called power, figure 12-11. The more power that can be produced, the more work can be performed in a given amount of time. Power is measured in FTLB per second or FTLB per minute. If an electric motor can lift a 600 pounds weight 20 feet in 10 seconds, power used would be equal to 20 feet times 600 LB divided by 10 seconds equals 1200 feet lb per second one horsepower equals 550 feet lb per second or 33000 feet lb per minute so 1200 feet lb per second equals 1200 ftlb divided by 550 ftlb per second equals 2.18 horsepower the watt or kilowatt 1000 watts is the metric unit of measurement for power, where 746 watts equals 1 horsepower. So the electric motor in the example would be developing 2.18 horsepower times 746 watts equals 1627 watts, or 1.627 kilowatts, of power. Figure 12-11 formula for power. Power and torque. Torque is described as a twisting force. Because torque is a force, movement does not have to occur to have torque. Torque is applied before or during movement. When a twist cap on a water bottle is removed, maximum torque is applied just before the cap starts to turn. When the same cap is tightened, maximum torque is applied once the cap starts to get tight. The concept of twisting force should always come to mind when the term torque is used. When a piston is pushed down a cylinder during the power stroke, it applies force to a connecting rod linking the piston and crankshaft.
causing the crankshaft to rotate. The rotational force applied to the crankshaft is called torque. The crankshaft then applies that twisting force to other components such as the transmission and front pulley. The unit of measurement for torque in the imperial system is FTLB, in the metric system it is newton meters. If a force of 100 pounds is applied to the end of an one foot long wrench, lever, attached to a bolt, the resulting torque applied to the wrench will be 100 feet LB. If no movement occurred, torque was still applied as a force, but no work was performed. Work only occurs when movement happens. So applying torque, twisting force, to something while it is turning means that work is being performed. Power means that work is being done at a certain rate, which involves time. So power is the amount of work performed in a certain amount of time. The measurement of engine power is calculated from the amount of torque at the crankshaft, and the speed at which it is turning in RPM. The formula for engine horsepower is Horsepower equals RPM times FTLB divided by 5252. For example, if an engine creates 500 feet LB of torque at 4000 revolutions per minute then the amount of horsepower is 500 times 4000 divided by 5252, or 380 horsepower at 4000 revolutions per minute. Because horsepower would change with RPM, it is necessary to express not only the power value but also the engine speed, in RPM, at which it occurs. Technician Tip Power can also be expressed in kilowatts. A kilowatt, 1000 watts, is equivalent to 1000 newtons per meter per second. The formula for computing an engine's horsepower might seem confusing, as we said earlier that 1 horsepower equals 33,000 feet lb per minute, yet we divide the product of torque times rpm by 5,252. Why do we use 5,252 instead of 33,000? The reason is a bit complicated, having to do with the definition of FTLB. When relating to work, FTLB means force times distance moved. That definition works well in a lifting situation, but not so well in a twisting, torque, situation. In a torque situation, FTLB means a twisting force applied to a shaft, that is, applied force times lever distance of the applied force. Thus, it is possible for torque to result in no movement, only in applied force and we label that force in FTLB even though for work or power to happen, movement must take place. To calculate the twisting power of a shaft, we need a way to add distance moved and time to the equation so that power can be represented, we can't just say that. 33,000 feet LB equals 1 horsepower when talking about torque. That is why RPM is included in the formula because RPM refers to a certain number of revolutions per minute, it includes both time and distance. But how much distance is 1 revolutions per minute? The answer relates to radians. A radian describes how many radius distances there are in the circumference of a circle, figure 12-12. Because there are 3.14 diameters in the circumference of a circle, there are twice as many, or 6.28, radius distances radians, in the circumference of any circle. The larger the circle, the longer the radians, but still only 6.28 of them fit within the total circumference.
and that is where we get our distance. Because torque relates to an equivalent amount of force a certain distance from the rotational center, radius, and there are 6.28 radians in the circumference of a circle, every revolution equals a distance of 6.28 radians. Figure 12-12 radians in the circumference of a circle. To convert torque FTLB to work FTLB, there has to be movement. We can either multiply the RPM by 6.28 and use the 33,000 FTLB per horsepower factor, or divide the 33,000 feet LB by 6.28, distance around a circle in radians, and come up with a new factor, which is 5,252, that we can use with the original torque times RPM numbers for calculating engine horsepower. To keep the numbers more manageable, most people go with the 5,252 factor. Thus, if we multiply the FTLB of torque times RPM and divide that number by 5,252, we will have calculated the engine's horsepower at that particular RPM. Torque versus Horsepower As torque is a twisting or turning force, horsepower is the rate, in time and distance, at which that force, torque, is produced. Torque alone does not mean work has been accomplished. It takes movement and time to accomplish a given amount of work in a given amount of time, horsepower. At the same time, for an engine to produce torque, it has to be running. So the rotation of the crankshaft, torque times distance, in a running engine means that work and power are occurring because torque times RPM gives us power, figure 12 to 13. Also, an engine puts out varying amounts of torque and power as it is operating. Thus, if it is producing torque, it is producing power. Factors that affect an engine's torque output include engine volumetric efficiency, the rate of air intake and exhaust, at various crankshaft speeds, and internal component friction, parasitic losses. In a naturally aspirated engine, non-pressurized intake system, Torque peaks at the RPM where the engine cylinders fill the most with air. Torque starts to drop as engine speed increases past peak torque RPM. Actually, in a naturally aspirated, naturally breathing, non-pressurized, engine, air almost never completely fills the combustion chamber while the engine is running, because of the resistance of air flowing through the intake system. Peak engine torque RPM occurs at the peak volumetric efficiency somewhere around 85% in an unmodified engine. Peak torque usually occurs at some low to mid RPM engine speed, depending on bore and stroke of the engine as well as intake and exhaust port size and valve timing. Because engine RPM tends to rise faster than torque falls off, above peak volumetric efficiency, an engine's maximum horsepower occurs at a higher RPM than the peak torque RPM. At some point in the RPM range, the torque on the crankshaft drops so low that the crankshaft can no longer do additional work, and the horsepower actually starts to decrease. Remember, it is horsepower that does the work, but torque makes it happen. Engine torque, and therefore horsepower, increases can be achieved through any engine modifications that improve volumetric efficiency, figure 12 to 14. In fact, a turbocharger or supercharger increases an engine's volumetric efficiency well above 100%. For example, 
a 1.6-liter Volkswagen diesel engine when turbocharged to its rated 11 pounds of boost would be theoretically equivalent, in terms of horsepower, to a naturally aspirated 2.8-liter engine. Figure 12 to 13 An automotive chassis dynamometer measures power output of the engine at the wheels of the vehicle. Figure 12 to 14 The relationship between torque and horsepower. Applied Science S97 Torque The technician can demonstrate an understanding of how torque relates to force and angular acceleration. Newton's second law of motion states that the change in speed of an object over a given time is proportional to the force exerted on it. We know that a train is much slower to accelerate than a car, and once it is moving, the train is far more difficult to stop. This is the basis for our understanding of the concept of torque relating to force and angular acceleration. Physics can tell us a lot about how engines react to forces. Consider a flywheel attached to the crankshaft of an engine, which is an example of rotational motion. The torque necessary for the assembly to rotate is the product of force multiplied times distance. In physics, torque can be thought of as a rotational force that causes a change in rotary motion. The term twisting force is used by most automotive technicians. To determine angular acceleration, which is measured in radians per second squared, we need to know several other items of information. We would need to know the initial and final angular velocities and time. Angular velocity describes the speed of rotation of an object that is following a specific axis. Angular acceleration is the rate of change of angular velocity with time, and is measured in radians per second squared. The angular acceleration is caused by the torque, which produces the force to make it happen. This process is proportional, as stated in Newton's second law of motion. Applied Science S50 Work The technician can explain the relationship between torque and horsepower. Two technicians are discussing the relationship between torque and horsepower during their break time at work. Al believes that torque is the turning force at the engine's crankshaft. Bob says that horsepower is the rate at which force is produced. Both technicians are correct as they discuss the unique relationship of torque and horsepower. One cannot exist without the other. When we compare a race car to a bulldozer, we can see two different applications of torque and horsepower. A bulldozer has lots of torque, but the engine may be operating at 2,000 revolutions per minute. A race car may be operating at 8,000 revolutions per minute with a lower amount of torque. Low speed torque is needed in some situations, and high RPM horsepower is needed in others. Additional information on the relationship between torque and horsepower is described in this chapter. Engine Load Factor Load factor or power range is typically used in regard to diesel engines, and describes how long an engine can produce its maximum power output. An engine that is quite powerful may not be designed to produce its maximum power over long periods. A gasoline engine in a car may give good acceleration in short bursts, but it can overheat and or fail if operated at maximum speed and power for too long. In contrast, due to its robust construction, a heavy-duty diesel engine in a large truck is designed to operate near or at its maximum speed and load for long periods without damage. 
One way to describe the load factor of an engine is to give its power as an average over a certain period. This is stated as a percentage, and is called load factor, figure 12 to 15. An engine required to operate at maximum power over 10 hours is said to have a load factor of 100%. Using that as a standard, most car engines usually only operate at about 20% to 30% during a typical daily drive. The engine is never run at 100% load for an extended time, in fact, it may never reach 100% even for a short time. Figure 12 to 15 example of a load factor for an engine. Four-stroke spark ignition engines. K12005. The C engine used in today's vehicles operates on the four-stroke cycle principle. It takes four strokes of the piston to complete one cycle. This complete cycle is called the Otto cycle, and is named after German engineer Nikolaus Otto. When the piston in a cylinder is at the position farthest away from the crankshaft, it is said to be at top dead center, TDC. When the piston in the cylinder is at a position closest to the crankshaft, it is said to be at bottom dead center, BDC. When the piston moves from TDC to BDC or from BDC to TDC, one stroke has occurred, figure 12 to 16. Two or more strokes are called reciprocating motion, meaning an up and down or back and forth motion within the cylinder. Piston engines are therefore referred to as reciprocating engines. Piston engines can be simple, single piston engines such as those on lawn mowers, or they can be much more complicated, multi-piston engines, such as those in automobiles, trucks, and heavy equipment. Multi-cylinder engines come in various cylinder arrangements, figure 12 to 17. Inline engines with pistons one behind another. Flat engines with horizontally opposed cylinders, called boxer engines. V-type engines with the pistons forming a V-configuration. VR or W-type engines, a modified version of the V-type engine, with cylinders in a narrower angle to one another and housed in the same cylinder bank. Figure 12 to 16 piston movement from TDC to BDC or from BDC to TDC is one stroke. Basic four-stroke operation. K12006. In a single four-stroke cycle, only one stroke out of four delivers new energy to turn the crankshaft. The four strokes must include the five key events common to all ICEs, intake, compression, ignition, power, and exhaust. Figure 12 to 18. These events occur in the same order every time, and make up one complete cycle that repeats over and over. The intake stroke starts with the exhaust valve closed, the intake valve, S, opening, and the piston moving from TDC to BDC. As the piston moves down, the volume above the top of the piston increases. This makes pressure inside the cylinder lower than the pressure outside the cylinder. Higher outside air pressure forces air, usually with fuel, into the cylinder. As the piston reaches BDC, the intake valve, S, closes, and the intake stroke ends. The compression stroke starts near BDC when the intake valve, S, closes. The piston moves from BDC to TDC. As the piston moves up, the air-fuel mixture is compressed into a smaller and smaller volume. 
Compression of air caused by the moving piston causes the temperature of the air fuel charge to rise, making ignition easier and the combustion, burning of fuel, more complete and efficient. As the piston reaches TDC of the compression stroke, ignition occurs. The air fuel mixture is ignited and burns rapidly at up to about 4500 degrees Fahrenheit, 2482 degrees Celsius. The heat of combustion causes the burning gases to expand greatly, thermal expansion, which creates very high pressure in the combustion chamber. This pressure is also applied to the entire cylinder, including the top of the piston, which is free to move down the cylinder. The power stroke occurs as this extreme force moves the piston from TDC to BDC, with both valves remaining closed. The exhaust valve, S, starts to open near BDC. At the end of the power stroke, the exhaust valve, S, opens and the exhaust stroke occurs as the piston moves from BDC to TDC, which pushes the burned gases out of the cylinder through the open exhaust valve, S. When the piston nears TDC, the exhaust valve, S, starts to close and the intake valve, S, starts to open, and the four stroke cycle starts over from the beginning. Note that the crankshaft has completed two full rotations during the four-stroke cycle. Thus, four complete strokes make one complete cycle. Figure 12 to 17A In line B Flat C V-type D VR and W-types Figure 12 to 18 The basic four-stroke cycle Applied Science as 99. Rotational. The technician can explain how rotational motion can be converted to linear motion, and why balance is important in rotating systems. When working in an automotive repair facility, it is important that the technician understand basic engine operation. The text has explained much regarding each component of the engine block assembly and cylinder head. The technician should know that reciprocating motion is an up and down motion such as the pistons in a cylinder. The crankshaft converts this linear motion into rotational motion. It is also important to know that the camshaft lobe converts rotary motion into linear motion. As described in the text, the lobe is the raised portion on a camshaft used to lift the lifter and open the valve. Opening the valve requires linear motion on overhead cam engines as well as cam in block engines. The text describes a cam as an egg-shaped piece, lobe, mounted on the camshaft. The egg shape of the cam lobe is designed to lift the valve open, hold it open, and let it close. This is the operation that converts rotating motion into linear motion. Balance is extremely important in a rotating system for a number of reasons. In order to have a smooth running engine, with long engine life and dependability, balance is necessary. On the crankshaft, we have a vibration damper or harmonic balancer, as described in the text. This important component is carefully engineered to meet the needs of a specific engine regarding proper balance. Engine measurement, size. K12007. ICEs are designated by the amount of space volume, their pistons displace as they move from TDC to BDC, which is called engine displacement. So, a 5.4 liter V8 engine has 8 cylinders that displace a total volume of 5.4 liters. 
displacement can be listed in cubic centimeters, liters, or cubic inches. To find an engine's displacement, you need to know the bore, stroke, and number of cylinders for a particular engine. The cylinder bore is the diameter of the engine cylinder. The bore is measured across the cylinder, parallel with the block deck, which is the machined surface of the block farthest from the crankshaft. Automotive cylinder bores can vary in size from less than 3 inches to more than 4 inches. The distance the piston travels from TDC to BDC, or from BDC to TDC, is called the piston stroke. Piston stroke is determined by the offset portion of the crankshaft called the throw. The crankshaft is described in greater detail later in this chapter. Piston stroke also varies from less than 3 inches to more than 4 inches. Generally speaking, the longer the stroke, the greater the engine torque produced. A shorter stroke enables the engine to run at higher RPM to create greater horsepower. Engine specifications typically list the bore size first and the stroke length second, bore versus stroke. The volume that a piston displaces from BDC to TDC is called piston displacement. Increasing the diameter of the bore or increasing the length of the stroke produces a larger piston displacement. The formula for calculating piston displacement, figure 12 to 19, is Cylinder bore squared times 0.785 times the piston stroke. This formula works for calculating both the standard displacement in cubic inches or the metric displacement in cubic centimeters, cc's, or liters. For example, a 5.4 liter, 329 cubic inch, V8 truck engine has a 3.55 inches bore, a 4.16 inches stroke, and 8 cylinders. Using the formula for displacement, 3.55 times 3.55, bore 2, equals 12.6025 times 0.785, constant, equals 9.893 equals 9.893 times 4.16, stroke, equals 41.155 cubic inch piston. Displacement Once you know the piston displacement, the next step to finding engine displacement is to multiply piston displacement times the number of cylinders in the engine, figure 12 to 20. Continuing from the previous example, 41.155 cubic inch piston displacement times 8. Number of cylinders, equals 329.24 cubic inch. Engine displacement. The displacement of an engine, also called engine size, can be altered by changing cylinder bore, diameter, piston stroke, length, or the number of cylinders. Figure 12 to 19 piston displacement. Technician tip. An engine with the same size bore and stroke is referred to as a square engine. An engine with a larger bore than stroke is called an oversquare engine, short stroke engine. An engine with a bore smaller than the stroke is called an undersquare engine, long stroke engine. Oversquare engines tend to make their power at higher RPM, whereas undersquare engines tend to make their power at lower RPM. Compression ratio compares cylinder volumes with the piston at BDC and at TDC, figure 12 to 21. Maximum cylinder volume is at BDC, and minimum cylinder volume is at TDC. The ratio is given as two numbers. 
A compression ratio listed as 8 colon 1, 8 to 1, means that the maximum cylinder volume is 8 times larger than the minimum cylinder volume. Compression ratio is affected by changing the size and shape of the top of the piston, changing the size of the combustion chamber in the cylinder head or piston, or altering valve timing. The higher the compression ratio, the higher the compression pressures within the combustion chamber, and therefore the higher the thermal expansion during combustion, making the engine more fuel efficient. But a compression ratio that is too high can cause the air-fuel mixture to be ignited by the high compression temperature before the correct time, which is when the spark occurs. This early ignition can cause damage to the engine bearings and pistons, therefore, manufacturers design their engines with an optimum compression ratio. Figure 12 to 20 Engine Displacement Figure 12 to 21 The compression ratio of an engine is found by taking the volume of the cylinder at BDC and comparing it to the volume at TDC. In this example, a 9 colon 1 compression ratio is found. Figure 12 to 22 Conventional engine, compression and expansion strokes are the same length. Atkinson and Miller cycle engines K12008 The Atkinson cycle engine and the Miller cycle engine are both variations on the traditional four-stroke C engine. These engines operate more efficiently but produce lower power outputs for the same displacement. In a conventional four-stroke cycle, the compression and the power, expansion, strokes are the same length, figure 12 to 22. Increasing engine efficiency by increasing the stroke and raising the expansion ratio also raises the compression ratio. There is a limit to how high the compression ratio can be because raising it too much results in high enough temperatures to ignite the air-fuel mixture prematurely, causing engine-damaging detonation. The Miller and the Atkinson cycles overcome this by using valve timing variations to make the effective compression stroke shorter than the expansion stroke, figure 12 to 23. The effective compression stroke is shortened by delaying the closing of the intake valve at the beginning of the compression stroke. This shortens the distance that the piston has to compress the air-fuel mixture. The combustion chamber is slightly smaller so that the engine will still have a normal compression ratio. Thus, the compression pressure and ignition is still typically the same as that of a conventional four-stroke engine. The effective expansion stroke is lengthened by delaying the opening of the exhaust valve until closer to BDC, so the pressure created by the expansion of the burning gases can act on the piston longer applying pressure to the crankshaft for a longer time, and increasing efficiency. Figure 12 to 23 Miller Cycle and Atkinson Cycle Engines Compression and expansion strokes are different effective lengths due to delayed intake valve closing. Because some of the intake gases are pushed back from the cylinder into the intake manifold, Miller and Atkinson engines use a larger throttle opening for a given amount of power. This design results in lower manifold vacuum, which reduces pumping losses, parasitic drag, and increases fuel efficiency. The Miller cycle engine adds an engine-driven supercharger to increase volumetric efficiency and boost power output when required. When the engine is operating at low load and speed, the supercharger is not needed. A clutch disengages the drive so there is no unnecessary drag on the engine. When extra power is required, the clutch is engaged and the supercharger boosts the amount of air drawn into the engine, 
supercharging the cylinders. The Atkinson cycle engine is efficient within a specific operating range, the so-called engine sweet spot of peak torque RPM, typically between 2,000 and 4,500 revolutions per minute, but its overall power output and torque are lower than the conventional ice of the same displacement. This type of engine is less useful as the primary power source, but it is ideal in applications such as a series parallel hybrid vehicle, where it can work in tandem with a battery-driven electric motor. This engine, combined with an electric motor, provides more torque than it can produce by itself. It is also well suited to be used to charge a high voltage battery as it can do that within the most efficient engine RPM range. Also, the lower maximum operating RPM allows engine components to be of lighter construction and weight as compared to a conventional ICE. Lighter and smaller components reduce friction and increase engine efficiency. In addition, the crankshaft is mounted slightly off-center from the cylinder bores, figure 12 to 24. This position reduces the thrust load on the piston and cylinder wall, thereby reducing power loss due to friction. Figure 12 to 24 crankshaft offset from cylinder bore reduces the thrust load on the piston during the power stroke. Components of the Spark Ignition Engine K12009 the C engine is the most widely used engine to power passenger vehicles in the United States, whereas CI engines are more common in much of the rest of the world. But both types of engines share similar components. C engines have evolved over their 125-year life, but the fundamental principles are still the same. An air-fuel mixture is compressed in the cylinder to increase its energy, it is ignited by a high-voltage spark, and the mixture burns rapidly causing the thermal expansion needed to push the piston down, and the exhaust gases are pushed out of the cylinder. Modern materials, machining processes, and lubricants have made these engines longer-lasting, more powerful, and more environmentally friendly than ever. Manufacturers have made incredible gains in the manufacturing of engines and engine components due to new technologies that have found their way into the automotive field. Engine blocks and cylinder heads are commonly manufactured from lightweight aluminum, valve covers and intake manifolds are being made of durable plastic materials, pistons are made of newer aluminum alloys, and in some cases connecting rods are manufactured from powdered metals, making them lighter and stronger. The engine can be divided into a couple of main assemblies, the bottom end, and the top end, figure 12 to 25. The engine's so-called bottom end is where the crankshaft, bearings, connecting rods piston assemblies, and oil pump reside. The crankshaft, connecting rods, flywheel, and harmonic balancer make up the rotating assembly. The so-called top end is where the cylinder heads and combustion chambers reside. The cylinder head, S, contains the overhead valves and valve train, if of the cam and head configuration, overhead cam. It also contains the camshaft. Each of these assemblies and components is explored further below. Figure 12 to 25 The engine contains many parts that work together to power the vehicle. Short block and long block. K12010 If a rebuilt engine is needed, an engine subassembly may be purchased. A short block replacement includes all of the parts in the engine block from below the head gasket to above the oil pan, figure 12 to 26. 
A cam in block engine also includes the camshaft and timing gears. An overhead cam short block does not include the camshaft or timing gears. A long block replacement engine includes the short block, plus the cylinder head, S, newer reconditioned valve train, camshaft and timing chain, and or gears, or timing belt, figure 12 to 27. A long block engine still requires swapping parts from the original engine to the long block, including the intake and exhaust manifolds, fuel injection system, the starter, alternator, power steering pump, and air conditioning compressor. Figure 12 to 26 short block assembly. Figure 12 to 27 long block assembly. Cylinder block, crankshaft, and flywheel. The cylinder block is the single largest part of the engine. The block can be made of cast iron or aluminum, which is much lighter. The block casting includes the cylinder bore openings, also known as cylinders, which are machined into the block to allow for the fitting of pistons, figure 12 to 28. The block deck is the top of the block, and is machined flat. The cylinder head bolts to the block deck. Passages for the flow of coolant and lubrication are machined or cast into the block. Holes machined into the bottom of the block, called main bearing bores, have removable main caps, and are used to hold the crankshaft in place. Each cap is held in place with two or more bolts. Reinforcements for strength and attachment points for related parts are also machined into the block. The lowest portion of the block is called the crankcase because it houses the crankshaft. The oil pan completes the crankcase. On most modern engines, the main bearing caps are now a part of the engine girdle, also called the bedplate. The use of a girdle provides an even stronger design as all main bearing caps are connected and reinforce each other. The crankshaft can be made of cast iron or forged steel, or can be machined out of a solid piece of steel. The crankshaft converts the reciprocating motion of the pistons into rotary motion at the crankshaft. The rotary motion is transferred to the engine flywheel and transmission to ultimately, in a conventional vehicle, drive the wheels. The crankshaft has main bearing journals and connecting rod journals machined and polished into it. Main bearing journals provide support for the crankshaft in the block, and the connecting rod journals provide a connection point for the connecting rods, figure 12 to 29. The crankshaft is supported by Babbitt-lined main bearing inserts, which fit in the main bearing saddles of the block. And movement of the crankshaft is limited by a thrust bearing at one of the main bearings. Figure 12 to 28 The block is the single largest part of the engine, with other components attached to it. Figure 12 to 29 The basic parts of the crankshaft. Offset from the crankshaft center line are the rod journals, also called throws. They are essentially the levers of the crankshaft. The longer the throw of the crankshaft, the longer the stroke of the piston, and the more torque that the engine can produce. The rod journals are also machined and polished. As the crankshaft turns, the rod journals big ends circle around the center line of the crankshaft. To prevent vibration, counterweights are formed on the crankshaft. The counterweights balance the weight of the piston assembly, connecting rods and rod journals. At the front of the crankshaft is a snout that provides a mount for a vibration damper, harmonic balancer, and drive gears, sprockets, or pulleys. 
The back of the crankshaft has a flange where the flywheel is connected by bolts or studs. The flywheel is a weighted assembly that stores kinetic energy from each power stroke and helps keep the crankshaft turning through non-power strokes. Vehicles with manual transmissions have a clutch assembly attached to the flywheel. Vehicles with automatic transmissions use a flex plate and torque converter assembly. The effect on the crankshaft is the same with either assembly, that of storing energy, and keeping the crankshaft rotating smoothly. Connecting Rod and Piston A connecting rod is made of cast iron or steel in most engines, although some race cars and exotic sports cars use aluminum or titanium connecting rods to make the engine rev more quickly and higher, producing more power. The connecting rod connects the piston to the crankshaft and transfers piston movement and combustion pressure to the crankshaft rod journals. The piston end, small end, of the connecting rod follows the reciprocal movement of the piston, pivoting on a piston pin or wrist pin attachment. The wrist pin attaches the piston to the connecting rod, and fits into a one-piece bushing in the small end of the rod. The other end, large end, of the connecting rod attaches to the crankshaft throw or rod journal through the use of a removable rod cap that bolts to the end of the connecting rod body. The connecting rod and cap are machined to allow the fit of the connecting rod bearing. The piston is typically made of lightweight aluminum and possibly synthetic material and transfers combustion pressures to the crankshaft through the connecting rod. Pistons change direction multiple times a second, figure 12 to 30. Consider that with an engine idling at 750 revolutions per minute, the piston changes direction 25 times each second. We can imagine that piston movement would be hard to see even at idle, but at a red line, maximum allowed speed of 6,000 revolutions per minute. Can you imagine the stress placed on engine parts as each piston comes to a stop at TDC and at BDC 200 times per second? What's more, a 12,000 RPM redline sports car or motorcycle engine would experience 400 piston reversals per second. Figure 12 to 30 The piston moves two strokes during one revolution of the crankshaft. The top of the piston, called the piston head, is exposed to extremes of heat and pressure during combustion. Below the piston head are grooves machined into the piston that hold circular piston sealing rings. The piston rings provide a seal between the outside of the piston and the inside of the cylinder wall as the piston moves in its stroke, figure 12 to 31. Usually, a total of three rings are used. The upper two rings are compression rings, which prevent combustion pressure called blow-by gas, from leaking past the pistons into the crankcase. The lower piston ring is an oil control ring that keeps lubricating oil on the cylinder wall and out of the combustion chamber. Pistons can come in many styles of crowns, such as dished, domed, or flat top, depending on the compression ratio desired by the engine designer. Manufacturers today are using ceramic coatings on the pistons to provide better lubrication qualities and reduced heat absorption. Figure 12 to 31 Piston and Piston Rings Figure 12 to 32 Combustion chambers can be designed in several configurations, wedge combustion chamber shown. The Cylinder Head K12011 The cylinder head is constructed of cast iron or aluminum. Most engines are now constructed using an aluminum cylinder head, which reduces the weight of the engine.
the cylinder head contains the valves and valve train, valve actuating components, of the engine. The head also includes intake and exhaust ports to which intake and exhaust manifolds are attached. The head forms the top of the cylinder, and is sealed in place with the use of a head gasket. The cylinder head has a combustion chamber either cast or machined into it. Combustion chambers in the cylinder head come in several different designs, such as the wish or the hemispherical combustion chamber, a variation that is used in most engines now, figure 12 to 32. Engine cam and camshaft. K12012. The ICE uses so-called poppet valves. These are somewhat mushroom-shaped parts that slide up and down in the valve guides, figure 12 to 33. When not actuated, closed, the valves, under pressure from the valve springs, rest on seats of hardened material such as Stellite registered trademark. Valves need a system to make them open and close. Control of the valves is accomplished through the use of cams on a common shaft. A cam is an egg-shaped piece, lobe, mounted on the camshaft, figure 12 to 34. The egg shape of the cam lobe is designed to lift the valve open, hold it open, and let it close. The camshaft is timed to the rotation of the crankshaft to ensure that the valves open at the correct position of the piston. Timing the valve opening to the piston position is critical to ensure proper power outputs and low emissions operation of the engine. The camshaft is turned by gears, a toothed belt, or a chain that is driven by sprockets. Figure 12 to 33 poppet valves in a cylinder head. Figure 12 to 34 cam lobes on a camshaft. Up until the 1950s, many engines had their valves installed in the engine block. Such engines are called flat head engines. Some manufacturers still place the camshaft in the center of the block, but the valves are installed in the cylinder head, S. So-called cam in block engines use push rods to transfer the camshaft's lifting motion to the valves by way of rocker arms on top of the cylinder head. Tappets, or lifters, ride on the camshaft lobes to actuate the push rods, rocker arms, and valves. In most automotive engines today, however, the camshaft is mounted on top of the cylinder head. These engines are called overhead cam, OHC, engines, figure 12 to 35. Intake and exhaust valves may all be actuated by a single camshaft, or there may be two camshafts per head, called dual overhead cam, DOHC, engines. One camshaft may be used to actuate all of the intake valves, and another to actuate all of the exhaust valves. When separate intake and exhaust camshafts are used, there is no need for rocker arms. Most manufacturers use a lifter called a bucket lifter, placed right on top of the valve and valve spring to actuate the valve directly from the camshaft. Camshaft lobes are designed, as described previously, to open the valve, hold it open, and allow it to close. The opening, holding, and closing of the valves are critical to ensure that the engine operates correctly. In designing the cam lobe, engineers seek a proper compromise for the application of the engine. If the engine is designed to operate at a single engine RPM, then the camshaft can be designed to provide optimal power, economy, and emissions. Automotive engines do not operate at a single RPM, however, so a camshaft must be designed to provide the best balance of all speeds. 
High-performance engines built for racing use camshafts designed for high RPM power but would not work well for use on the street, where engines rarely stay above 3,000 revolutions per minute. Newer engine designs have overcome some of these limitations by using variable valve timing, which is discussed further in the cylinder head chapter. Figure 12 to 35A Cam and block engine B Overhead cam OHC engine Valves K12013 A valve is used to open and close a port in a cylinder head. The intake controls the flow of air and or fuel into the combustion chamber. The exhaust valve controls the flow of exhaust gases out of the combustion chamber and cylinder. The exposed intake port area usually must be larger than the exhaust port area to make it easier for the piston to pull air into the engine on the intake stroke. Engine vacuum created by the piston on the intake stroke is not as effective at moving air into the engine as the pressure created by the piston on the exhaust stroke is at pushing exhaust gases from the engine. The exposed port area can be increased by making the intake valve larger than the exhaust valve, or the manufacturer can use multiple intake valves. In the case of a three-valve engine, there would be two intake valves, and one exhaust valve but the intake valves would be smaller than the exhaust valve in this case. The valve head is disc-shaped, and the top of the valve head faces the combustion chamber. A machined surface on the back of the valve head is the valve face, figure 12 to 36. The valve face seals on a hardened valve seat in the cylinder head. Located between the valve head, and the valve face is a flat surface on the outer edge of the valve head, called the valve margin. The margin helps to prevent the valve head from melting under the heat and pressure of combustion. A shaft attached to the valve head is the valve stem. The stem operates in a valve guide in the cylinder head. The valve stem and guide work together to maintain valve alignment as the valve slides open and closed. Grooves are machined into the opposite end of the stem in order to receive locking pieces, sometimes referred to as valve keepers that retain a valve spring retainer and spring on the valve. Keepers hold the retainer, preventing it from coming loose while under tension from the valve spring, and preventing the parts from coming loose under normal use. Engines may have two to five valves per cylinder. Figure 12 to 36 the parts of a valve. Mechanical and hydraulic valve train. The valve train is the combination of parts that work together to open and close the valves of the engine. The valve train operates off the camshaft, and the part that rides against the cam lobe is the valve lifter. The lifter transfers motion from the cam lobe to a push rod, or may directly act on the valve and spring, depending on whether the cam is in the engine block or on the cylinder head. The valve lifter works as a mechanical spacer, providing a hardened bearing surface that slides across the cam lobe. If the lifter is a mechanically solid piece, it is said to be a mechanical lifter, and therefore the engine is said to have a mechanical valve train. If the lifter has a hydraulic plunger in its center, it is a hydraulic lifter, and the engine is said to have a hydraulic valve train. The hydraulic plunger allows for the expansion and contraction of components during engine warm-up and cool-down. With the hydraulic valve train, valve adjustment is made by the hydraulic lifter, which takes up any clearance automatically. If a mechanical valve train is used, 
valve adjustments will be necessary at periodic intervals to ensure proper clearance is maintained as parts in the valve train wear. Roller Rockers and Lifters Roller-equipped rocker arms are used on many new engines because they reduce friction and increase engine efficiency. They may also be used to replace the cast or stamp steel rocker arms that have been used for many years as part of a standard valve train, figure 12 to 37. Figure 12 to 37 This roller rocker with a roller lifter compared to the standard rocker and flat lifter. A typical rocker arm has a fulcrum, a half round bearing, or a shaft that the rocker moves on as a bearing surface. One end of the rocker touches the top of the valve stem, and the metal slides across the valve as it pushes the valve open and then lets it close. The other end of the rocker arm connects with the push rod. The rocker sliding motion across the valve stem and center pivot results in friction, and friction creates loss of power and wear. To remedy this, needle bearings and a roller may be added to the end of the rocker where it contacts the valve stem, and needle bearings are added to the pivot point where the fulcrum is. This system greatly reduces friction and results in a more powerful and reliable valve train. Rocker arms are designed to increase the amount of lift designed into the cam lobe, because they work off-center as a lever. A typical rocker arm has the center pivot closer to the pushrod end. This design causes the valve end of the rocker arm to move more than the pushrod end. Many rocker arms have a 1.5 colon 1 lift ratio, which means that the valve moves 1.5 times farther than the pushrod. High-performance rockers have even higher ratios, such as a 1.6 colon 1 or 1.7 colon 1. These rockers increase the lift of the valve even more than a standard rocker arm. The other friction loss point in the valve train is at the lifter as it rides upon the cam lobe. To reduce this friction loss, rollers with needle bearings are added to the base of the lifter on some engines. The lifter now rolls on the cam lobe profile rather than sliding on it. This modification further reduces friction in the valve train, resulting in more power delivered to the engine flywheel, and less wasted as heat. The use of rollers and the lifters also allows the use of more aggressive cam lift profiles. Such profiles would rapidly wear an ordinary flat lifter and cam lobe. This difference between cam profiles used with flat tappets versus roller lifters means camshafts and tappets should never be interchanged. Also, the roller lifter must be held in position so that it does not turn in the lifter bore and scrape on and wear the cam lobe. To prevent this, a retainer keeps the lifter from turning sideways. Valve clearance. Valve clearance is the amount of slack between the rocker arm or cam follower and the valve stem or the cam, and the lifter if it is a bucket-style OHC engine, figure 12 to 38. If valve clearance is too large, the valves will tick and make enough noise to irritate the operator and increase wear of the valve train. If valve clearance is too small, the valve can be held open longer than it should be. As the cylinder head and valve train parts heat, they expand, so adequate clearance is needed to allow for this expansion. Insufficient valve clearance could result in burned valves. Some valves are adjustable through the use of adjusting screws, nuts, or metal shims. Other valves are non-adjustable, and the rocker arm simply bolts to the head, 
or the valve lifter is a preset dimension before it is installed under the camshaft if it is a bucket setup. Bucket lifters contain solid metal discs, shims, of different thicknesses. These shims are used to preset the proper valve clearance during cylinder head assembly or during a major tune-up. Figure 12 to 38 Valve Adjustments A. Rocker Arm Screw and Lock Nut B. Rocker Arm Center Bolt Valve Train Drives The valve train is driven by the camshaft, which in turn is driven by a chain or belt, depending on the engine design, driven by the crankshaft. Figure 12 to 39. In older engine designs, the camshaft was driven by a gear-to-gear -gear arrangement like that found in small lawnmower engines. The trouble with a gear-to-gear -gear design is that it tends to be a bit noisy compared to a chain or belt, and the camshaft needs to be relatively close to the crankshaft. In any four-cycle engine design, the camshaft must rotate at half of crankshaft speed. This is accomplished by using a camshaft gear or pulley that has twice the number of teeth as the crankshaft gear. The ratio of the crank to cam gear is 2 colon 1, thus it takes two turns of the crankshaft to turn the camshaft one turn. The timing chain drive is louder than a belt, but the belt will not last as long as the timing chain, and if exposed to fluids or dirt will wear out even more quickly. The timing chain must have a constant supply of engine oil to lubricate the chain to keep it from wearing out quickly. Timing gears rarely jump time, but if the timing chain or belt breaks, serious engine damage could result, depending on whether it is a freewheeling engine or an interference engine. Figure 12 to 39 Cam Drives A. Belt Driven OHC B. Chain Driven OHC the freewheeling engine has enough clearance between the pistons and the valves so that in the event the timing belt breaks, any valve that is hanging all the way open will not contact the piston, thus preventing engine damage. Figure 12 to 40. A broken timing belt will be an inconvenience to the customer. The engine dies and will not restart. The good news is that no mechanical engine damage usually occurs. By contrast, the interference engine has no clearance between the piston and valves if the valve were to open fully when the piston is at TDC. This means there is minimal clearance between the valves and pistons during normal operation. When the timing belt breaks, the valves will be tap dancing on the piston crowns, bending the valves, with the valves possibly punching holes in the pistons. A broken timing belt on an interference engine means a huge repair expense and in some cases the entire engine must be replaced. The manufacturer service information will normally tell you if the engine is an interference engine. The timing chain camshaft drive used in a cam and block engine is very different from that used in the OHC engine. The pushrod engine typically uses a chain behind a timing chain cover located on the front of the engine, figure 12 to 41. This type of timing chain is fairly short because the camshaft is close to the crankshaft. Some pushrod engines use a timing chain tensioner to ensure that the correct timing chain tension is maintained, however, most designs do not use a tensioner. The timing chain tensioner applies pressure against the chain. As the chain wears and gets longer, the tensioner takes a play in the chain. As the timing chain stretches, cam timing may become retarded. 
slack of the chain affects the positioning of the cam gear in relation to the crank gear. Retarded cam timing in this case can create undesirable engine performance problems. Figure 12 to 40 freewheeling engine. Figure 12 to 41 cam in block timing chain and gears. The OHC engine requires a longer timing chain or belt, and in this design one or more tensioners are required, figure 12 to 42. The timing chain in an OHC engine typically has hard plastic type guides for the chain to slide on and assist the tensioner, S, with correct tracking, and tension of the timing chain. The OHC timing chain must run in oil to ensure that the chain is lubricated. Without oil, the chain would wear out rapidly. A belt system uses a toothed or cogged bell to turn toothed or cogged pulleys on the camshaft. The belt is a scheduled maintenance replacement item and needs to be replaced at the mileage or time recommended by the manufacturer, for example 60,000 miles, 100,000 kilometers, or 5 years, whichever occurs first. Figure 12 to 42 Timing Chain, Gears, and Tensioner System Intake Manifold K12014 The intake manifold is part of the air intake, induction, system of the engine package. It sits between the throttle body and the cylinder head, S. On AV type engine, it usually is located between the cylinder heads. For an inline engine, it bolts to the side of the head. Intake manifolds deliver air, air with fuel on carbureted or throttle body injected engines. To the cylinder head. Intake manifold designs have seen many changes since the first engines. Once rectangular and boxy in shape, they are now sleek. The materials from which they are made have also changed. Intake manifolds were first manufactured in cast iron, and later in lightweight aluminum. Now, most manufacturers are using even lighter thermoplastic materials for intake manifolds, figure 12 to 43. Lighter engines usually equate to better fuel economy, so manufacturers are always looking for new lighter materials to make their vehicles more fuel efficient. How smooth the inside of the intake manifold is, its inside diameter, and its length all affect how an intake manifold will contribute to engine performance. Some sportier vehicles use variable length tune intake runners, which switch between a shorter or longer path for the air to flow depending on engine RPM. Intake manifold design can greatly affect engine performance, this topic is discussed further in the induction and exhaust chapter. Figure 12 to 43 Intake Manifolds A. Cast Iron B. Aluminum C. Thermoplastic Exhaust Manifold the exhaust manifold is the output side of the engine's breathing apparatus. With a cross-flow head, the exhaust manifold bolts to the cylinder head across from the intake manifold and is designed to carry exhaust gases out of the engine and deliver them to the exhaust system. As with intake manifolds, exhaust manifold design can have a great impact on the performance of the engine due to scavenging. So-called tuned headers, for example, Direct exhaust gases from each individual cylinder using equal length tubes, runners, to scavenge, extract, the exhaust from neighboring cylinders, figure 12 to 44. This topic is discussed further in the induction and exhaust chapter.
refer to the induction and exhaust chapter for more information about the exhaust system. Figure 12 to 44 Exhaust Manifolds A. Cast iron B. Tuned headers 2-stroke spark ignition engines K12015 Two-stroke engines are notable in their ability to produce a large power-to-weight ratio. The power capabilities of this engine come from the fact that every other stroke, TDC to BDC, instead of every four strokes, is a power stroke. However, there are drawbacks to this engine design, namely that it is a high-emissions engine. Almost all car manufacturers have moved away from two-stroke production, Basic two-stroke cycle engine principles The two-stroke C engine is different from the four-stroke C engine. In a two-stroke engine, the inlet and exhaust ports are opened and closed by the movement of the piston, there are no poppet valves like those used in the four-stroke cycle engine. The two-stroke engine is still an ice and shares the five events common to all C engines. What is different is the method of air induction and exhaust used. Intake occurs in two parts. First, the air-fuel mixture is drawn into the crankcase as the piston moves up. It is then transferred from the crankcase to above the piston when the piston moves down. During compression, the mixture is forced into a small volume as the piston moves up. During ignition, the spark from the spark plug ignites the mixture, and it burns. During the power stroke, Energy released by combustion generates the force that pushes the piston down and turns the crankshaft. During exhaust, leftover gases are expelled from the cylinder when the piston is near BDC. Figure 12 to 45 Two-Stroke Engine As in all ices, expanding gases drive the piston down and turn the crankshaft and flywheel, which pushes the piston back up to TDC in the cylinder. Figure 12 to 45 with the two-stroke cycle engine, the crankshaft makes one revolution, two strokes, for every complete cycle. In one revolution of the crankshaft, two piston strokes occur, one down and one up. Each downward stroke of the piston is a power stroke, and turns the crankshaft. The two-stroke cycle engine differs from the four-stroke cycle engine because the upward piston movement creates suction in the crankcase to pull the air-fuel mixture into it as the piston moves from BDC to TDC, figure 12 to 46. The air and fuel sit in the crankcase until the piston begins to move down, which then creates a small pressure in the crankcase, referred to as crankcase compression, figure 12 to 47. As the piston moves downward with the power stroke, it uncovers a transfer port, and the fuel and air rush into the cylinder from the crankcase. Figure 12 to 46 Two-stroke, crankcase intake. Figure 12 to 47 Two-stroke, crankcase compression. The piston begins moving up toward TDC, creating another draw of air and fuel into the crankcase. The air and fuel above the piston get squeezed in the combustion chamber and the spark plug ignites the mixture. As the piston moves down, it also uncovers the exhaust port, and exhaust gases exit the exhaust system. As the piston moves farther down, it uncovers the transfer port again, and crankcase compression pushes the air and fuel into the cylinder once again. To summarize, with upward movement of the piston, compression of the air-fuel mixture is happening in the cylinder above the piston, 
an intake of new air and fuel is happening in the crankcase below the piston. When the piston moves down, power is being applied to the crankshaft, exhaust is happening, and crankcase compression is building to push air and fuel through the transfer port into the cylinder. The placement of the ports makes all these processes possible and eliminates the use of valves to let fuel and air in and exhaust out. Two-stroke intake system The intake system of a two-stroke engine is called a piston port system because the piston acts as a valve to cover and uncover the ports, allowing flow into and out of the cylinder. But because the crankcase alternates between vacuum and pressure as the piston goes up and down, a valve must be between the crankcase and the carburetor. Manufacturers use either a reed valve or a rotary valve for this purpose. A reed valve is a small flexible metal plate that covers the inlet port, figure 12 to 48. The reed valve is made of spring metal and can be attached to the crankcase or to the inlet port. The reed valve acts like a one-way check valve and opens and closes automatically according to changes in pressure in the crankcase. For performance applications, such as in off-road motorcycle racing, a different reed valve may be used to change the performance characteristics of the engine. Figure 12 to 48 two-stroke reed valve operation. Some two-stroke intake systems use a rotary valve. The crankcase has a port open to the carburetor and a rotary valve that covers and uncovers that port. The rotary valve is mounted on the crankshaft. As the crankshaft turns, the rotary valve rotates with it, opening and closing the inlet port as it does so. This ensures that pressure does not push backward into the carburetor as the piston pressurizes the crankcase. 4 and 2 stroke engine differences. K12016 In a two stroke gasoline engine, lubrication is usually performed by mixing oil with the gasoline. The oil lubricates the moving parts within the engine but also burns in the combustion chamber. This oil causes smoke to be emitted from the exhaust, which is one reason two-stroke engines have been dropped for automotive use. The exhaust emissions are beyond today's emissions regulation cutoff points. Two-stroke engines do have some attractive benefits. The first is their lightweight, compact, and powerful package. These features make them ideal for handheld equipment such as wheat cutters and chainsaws. They can be run in any position because there is no worry of oil leaking out of the sump or fuel out of the carburetor. They are also simple, using fewer parts, so they are easier and less expensive to build. Pressurized oil and oil passages are not needed for the crankshaft and connecting rod bearings in two-stroke engines. Most two-stroke engines use roller bearings on the crankshaft, which are splash lubricated by the oil mixed in with the gas as it churns in the crankcase. Many two-stroke engines are air-cooled, thus eliminating the water-based cooling system of the four-stroke engine. There is no oil pan with an oil pump or oil in it, nor a radiator with coolant in it. The two-stroke engine does not use any of the valve train components used by four-stroke engines so even more weight is shed from the engine package. These are some of the benefits of the two-stroke engine. Again, the downfall to the two-stroke engine design is the pollution released from the engine due to burning oil in the fuel, and the amount of unburned fuel exhausted from the engine due to scavenging of the exhaust.
It is estimated that 25% of the incoming fuel and oil leave the exhaust unburned in a typical two-stroke engine. The oil and fuel represent hydrocarbons released to the atmosphere, and wasted energy. The four-stroke engine releases fewer hydrocarbons because it controls inlet and outlet flow better. The release of less pollution makes the four-stroke engine the choice for most manufacturers trying to meet pollution requirements of the Environmental Protection Agency. Although companies continue to produce two-stroke engines, and have found ways to make them pollute less, much research is still needed to improve this engine design. Rotary Combustion Spark Ignition Engine K12017 As we have seen from the two-stroke engine, the fewer parts that are used, the better the power production, and the smaller the engine can be. The rotary engine fits into the same category of using fewer parts to produce power. The rotary combustion RC, engine has found its way into automobiles, planes, helicopters, boats, motorcycles, lawn mowers, and other applications. Displacement has varied from tiny air-cooled models to much larger liquid-cooled, multi-rotor units. The rotary engine is also called the Wankel engine because Felix Wankel improved it for automotive use in the 1940s. The RC engine was commercially released in 1964 in the NSU Wankel Spider and in 1967 with a two-rotor engine in the NSU RO80. Under license from NSU, Mazda successfully used the rotary engine in several vehicles, from the late 1960s all the way through the RX series, figure 12 to 49. The engines were a redefining period for engine development but were never really a success for a number of other companies. Figure 12 to 49 Wankel Rotary Engine Basic Principles of the Rotary Engine K12018 The Rotary Engine, aka Wankel Engine, is not as common as the four-stroke or two-stroke cycle engines, but its basic principle is well accepted. The rotary engine layout is vastly different from that of a reciprocating engine. The piston engine is called a reciprocating engine because the pistons move back and forth over the same path. This reciprocating motion is converted to rotary motion at the crankshaft. By contrast, a rotary engine does not use a piston that reciprocates, rather, it is a rotor that, you guessed it, rotates. The rotary engine does not need to convert inefficient reciprocating motion to rotary motion because the rotor functions as the piston in the engine. In the reciprocating engine, the piston assembly must stop at BDC and move back up to TDC, then back down to BDC, etc. many times a second. The stopping and starting of the piston assembly puts tremendous pressure on the connecting rod and rod bolts. Due to inertia, the piston tries to move out of the top of the cylinder bore, and through the bottom of the oil pan. The rotary engine does not have to stop or start its piston as it rotates. The rotor is roughly triangular in shape, and turns inside of a housing. The housing works on a geometric principle called an epitrochoid curve. An epitrochoid curve is the circular movement around the perimeter of another circle. The rotor moves in a unique pattern to ensure that the rotor ends follow the oblong shape of the housing, figure 12 to 50. Figure 12 to 50 cutaway of a rotary engine. Because the rotor spins, rather than moving up and down, engine operation is relatively smooth and vibration free. 
Each rotor and housing is akin to that of a three-cylinder two-stroke engine because of the rotor's three-sided shape. The rotor has three working chambers, thus, for each rotation of the rotor, we get three power pulses. Low-end torque is improved to the point that, though not recommended, a four-speed transmission rotary vehicle can be driven and accelerated from a standstill in fourth gear without excessive lugging. Rotary engines can be made with one, two, or even three or more rotor housings stacked side by side. Let's look at the basic principles of a rotary engine. Although it appears different, the rotary engine is still an ice. Recall the five events common to all ices, intake, compression, ignition, power, and exhaust. The rotary engine's intake cycle occurs when one face of the rotor passes the intake port, and draws the air-fuel mixture into the working chamber through the inlet port, figure 12 to 51. The turning rotor then carries it around to the spark plugs. Along the way, the volume of the working chamber decreases and compresses the mixture. The mixture is ignited, and combustion occurs. Expanding gases produce a power pulse, driving the rotor farther around. When the exhaust port is uncovered, exhaust occurs as the rotor sweeps burned gases out of the housing. Each face of the rotor is a separate working chamber, so three combustion events occur for each single revolution of the rotor. Figure 12 to 51 Operation of a Rotary Engine Basic Components of the Rotary Engine The rotor is mounted in an oval-shaped housing. The housing is made of aluminum alloy, but the curved interior surface has hard chromium plating. This surface has to put up with the wear and tear of the rotor seals sliding against it as it turns in the housing, figure 12 to 52. Cooling passages machined into the housing allow coolant to flow around the outside surface of the housing, to cool the engine. Figure 12 to 52 Rotary Engine Housing There are usually two spark plugs fixed to the housing that enable combustion to occur, these are referred to as leading and trailing spark plugs. The combustion chamber design is a long trough, which can contribute to incomplete combustion due to the large surface area of the chamber, and the distance the flame travels in the combustion chamber. Designers found that by installing a leading and trailing plug, a more efficient combustion process could be produced. The rotor housing also has an intake port to let air and fuel into the combustion chamber, and an exhaust port to expel burned gases. The rotor has three apexes, or points, which have seals to seal between the rotor, and the rotor housing, figure 12 to 53. These seals work like piston rings in a reciprocating piston engine. Side and corner seals create a seal between the rotor, and the side housing to prevent combustion gases from leaking around the rotor at the apex seals. The rotor also has oil seals on the side of the rotor that keep oil from inside the rotor from finding its way into the combustion chamber. Figure 12 to 53 Rotary Engine Rotor and Seals The combustion chamber of the rotary engine is formed by hollows in the flanks of the rotor. These hollows are sometimes called bathtubs. Front and rear housings, or side housings, are bolted to each side of the rotor housing. If it is a two-rotor engine, there is an intermediate housing between the two rotors. An internal gear in each rotor meshes with a corresponding stationary gear in the front and rear housings, figure 12 to 54. When combustion occurs, 
the meshing of the teeth forces the rotor to walk around the stationary gear. The teeth being in mesh combines with an eccentric shaft to make the rotor follow the curved surface of the housing, and it gives the rotor planetary motion. The rotor is attached to the eccentric shaft at points called rotor journals. This eccentric shaft is like a crankshaft in a piston engine, but with the journals off-center, figure 12 to 55. Because the rotor is off-center, the force applied to the shaft is off-center too. The whole shaft is supported by main journals, so the final output is smooth rotary motion. Figure 12 to 54 stationary gear, and internal rotor gear. Figure 12 to 55 rotary engine crankshaft. Engine power pulses. A single rotor rotary engine produces three power pulses per rotor rotation or one power pulse per eccentric shaft rotation. In a four-stroke engine, there is one power pulse per cylinder for every two crankshaft revolutions, and in a two-stroke engine there is one power pulse per cylinder for each crankshaft revolution. Because of the ratio of the gears in the housings and rotor, the eccentric shaft makes one revolution for each power phase. That is the same as three eccentric shaft revolutions for each rotation of the rotor. So the eccentric shaft turns at three times the speed of the rotor. A standard rotary engine typically has two rotors, offset from each other, in separate chambers, so it ends up with two power pulses per revolution of the eccentric shaft. Renesi's Rotary Engine Because of emission and fuel economy requirements, Mazda updated the standard rotary engine to the Renesi's engine. The operating cycle of the Renesi's rotary engine is the same as a conventional, or Wankel, rotary engine but with some design changes that improve fuel economy under load and compliance with current emission regulations. There is a low output version of this engine for use with automatic transmissions, and a high output version for use with manual transmissions. The low output Renesi's engine has two intake ports, primary and secondary. The ports were enlarged and moved to the side of the housing. In this position, they can open sooner, improving power and torque extending engine efficiency over a wider range of engine speeds, and reducing port overlap, which results in unburned fuel exiting the exhaust port. The intake manifold has primary, secondary, and auxiliary ducts. The primary duct has no control valve, the secondary and auxiliary ducts are controlled by butterfly valves. At low engine speeds, air flows into the engine through the primary intake ducts only keeping the air velocity in the manifold high, which provides better air-fuel mixing. At medium engine speeds, and when engine load is high enough, the secondary intake ducts are opened by butterfly valves, reducing restriction and increasing airflow and torque. Intake manifolds on reciprocating piston engines now use a similar system called intake manifold runner control. The rotary engine opens an extra air duct on the air cleaner at high engine speeds, allowing more air to be drawn into the engine. The high output engine has three intake ports, primary, secondary, and auxiliary. At engine speeds above 6000 revolutions per minute, the auxiliary duct opens, allowing the engine to draw air in through all six ports, three intake ports per rotor, further increasing engine breathing. 
A butterfly valve located between each housing's main intake duct is used at speeds above 7,000 revolutions per minute to shorten the effective length of the intake tubes so that pressure pulses force more air into the engine. Low-output engines have two fuel injectors per rotor, primary and secondary. The primary fuel injectors operate at all times, the secondary injectors operate at engine speeds over 3700 revolutions per minute, and when the engine load demands more fuel. The high-output engine has additional primary injectors, named primary 2, which only operate at very high speed and high load conditions. The exhaust ports in a Renesi's engine have also been enlarged and moved to the side of the combustion chamber housing. In this location, the exhaust ports open later than in a conventional rotary engine, and the rotor has been machined to delay the closing point. These changes deliver a longer expansion stroke and increase thermal efficiency. Wrap up. Ready for review. Most modern vehicles use internal combustion engines. Internal combustion engines are typically either piston, spark ignition, using reciprocating motion of pistons, or rotary, spark ignition, using planetary motion. Piston engines can be spark ignition, passenger vehicles, uses a spark plug, or compression ignition, diesel vehicles, no spark plug. Pressure and temperature have a direct relationship in that when pressure rises, so does temperature, and vice versa. Internal combustion engines work by heating a gas, which increases pressure, thermal expansion, creating force to push the piston down the cylinder. Pressure and volume have an inverse relationship, when one increases, the other decreases. Force, effort, tends to cause movement, which creates work, the speed at which this happens is known as power. Work equals distance move times force applied. Power equals distance times force or time in minutes. Engine power is measured by the amount of torque, turning effort, applied to the crankshaft multiplied by the RPM at which it is turning divided by 5,252. Torque and power produced by an engine are called engine output. Horsepower refers to the speed at which torque is produced. Load factor refers to the period of time a vehicle can operate at maximum speed and power. Piston stroke refers to the distance traveled from top dead center, TDC, to bottom dead center, BDC, or BDC to TDC. Internal combustion engines have either a two-stroke or four-stroke cycle. In a four-stroke cycle, five events must occur, intake, compression, ignition, power, and exhaust. The compression ratio of an engine is based on cylinder volume at BDC compared to cylinder volume at TDC, and can be affected by changes in piston stroke, piston head shape, head gasket thickness, and combustion chamber size. Piston displacement, the volume of movement from BDC to TCD, is calculated as bore squared times 3.14 times stroke slash 4. Engine displacement is calculated as piston displacement times number of engine cylinders. Two variations on the typical four-stroke spark ignition engine are the Miller cycle engine and the Atkinson cycle engine, both of which use valve timing variations to create unequal compression and expansion strokes. The Miller cycle engine has an engine-driven compressor that functions at high load and speed to boost power output. The Atkinson cycle engine is ideal for hybrid vehicles, 
as it has a lower power output and torque than conventional engines. Major components of an internal combustion engine include cylinder block, crankshaft, flywheel, connecting rod and piston, intake manifold, oil pan, oil pump, exhaust manifold, cylinder head, valve train, and engine camshaft. The cylinder block, the largest engine component, includes cylinder bores, coolant and lubrication passages, and the crankcase. The function of the crankshaft is to convert the piston's reciprocating motion into rotary, turning, motion. The flywheel stores energy from each piston's power stroke to smooth out the power strokes. The connecting rod connects the piston to the crankshaft and causes piston movement, via the crankshaft, during non-power strokes. Components that make up and support the piston are piston head, piston rings, compression and oil control, ring grooves, ring lands, piston skirt, pin hole, and pin boss. Compression and combustion gases can leak past piston rings, and enter the crankcase, this is known as blow-by. The purpose of an intake manifold is to deliver air or air and fuel to the cylinder head. The camshaft opens the valves, and allows them to close at the right time, which ensures correct engine operation. Parts of the camshaft lobe include base circle, nose, cam lobe center line, and cam lobe ramps. Engineers designing camshaft lobes must consider the issues of lift, and duration, as well as the cam center line and separation. Parts of an intake valve include head, face, margin, and stem. The intake valve is typically larger and tends to run cooler than the exhaust valve. Exhaust valves are typically smaller, allow exhaust to exit the cylinder, and tend to be run hotter than intake valves. Modern automotive engines have valves arranged in the cylinder head above the piston, known as an I-head arrangement. The valve lifter can be hydraulic or mechanical and transfers motion from the cam lobe to the valve train or directly to the valve. Roller rocker arms act as levers to increase the camshaft's lift of the valve. Valve clearance must be accurate so as not to create noise, meaning clearance is too high, or a loss of compression past the valve, clearance is too low. Timing of when valves open and close is vital to proper engine function. Timing belts need periodic replacement, and must be aligned with engine timing marks. Valve timing can be modified during engine design by advancing or retarding cam timing, which gives the effect of more torque and power at a lower RPM or higher RPM range, respectively. Variable valve timing allows cam timing to be adjusted during engine operation. Cam actuators can be a twisted gear arrangement or a vane type phaser. The engine control module, ECM, controls variable cam timing using the following inputs, mass airflow sensor or manifold absolute pressure sensor, throttle position sensor, intake air temperature sensor, engine coolant temperature sensor, and crankshaft position sensor. Using a pulse width modulation signal, the cam solenoid regulates amount and direction of oil flow to the cam phaser. Engine design freewheeling or interference, determines the amount of damage that will result if the timing belt breaks. Two-stroke engines use the piston to open and close intake and exhaust ports, allowing air fuel to enter the cylinder. All events of an internal combustion engine are accomplished by a two-stroke engine within one up and one down stroke of the piston. 
two-stroke engines use either a reed valve or rotary valve to allow air and fuel into the crankcase. Two-stroke engines eliminate the camshaft and valve train, making them lighter than four-stroke engines. Four-stroke engines release fewer hydrocarbons into the atmosphere, and are more likely to meet EPA regulations. Rotary, or Wankel, engines use a rotor in place of a piston, and move it in an epitrochoid curve to create a nearly vibration-free engine operation. Rotary engines have two spark plugs, leading and trailing, per rotor to enable complete combustion. The rotor moves along the curved surface of its housing, and pushes on an eccentric shaft to produce power. A rotary engine cycle has four phases, intake, compression, power, and exhaust. Each of the three faces of the rotor act as a combustion chamber, and have a power pulse every revolution of the rotor. The Renesi's rotary engine is designed with improved fuel economy via modified intake and exhaust ports. A Renesi's engine can be low outputs, for automatic transmissions, or high outputs, for manual transmissions. Key Terms Atkinson cycle an engine cycle that uses a longer effective exhaust stroke than intake stroke to reduce exhaust emissions. This type of engine is widely used in hybrid electric vehicles. Block deck the top of the engine block and cylinder bore where the cylinder head is bolted on. Blow by gas the result of combustion gases leaking past the compression rings and getting into the crankcase. Bottom dead center, BDC. The position of the piston at the end of its stroke, when it is closest to the crankshaft. Cam the egg-shaped lobe machine to a shaft, used to cause opening and closing of the valves of a four-stroke cycle engine. Cam in block engine an engine in which the camshaft is located in the engine block rather than on the cylinder head. Camshaft the part of the engine that activates the valve train by using lobes riding against lifters. Compression ignition, CI. Engine an internal combustion engine that uses the heat of compression to ignite the compressed air-fuel mixture. Compression ratio, CR, the volume of the cylinder with the piston at bottom dead center as compared to the volume of the cylinder at top dead center, given in a ratio such as 9,1 CR. Compression stroke the stroke of the piston during which air and fuel is being compressed into a small area prior to ignition. Cylinder bore the hole in the engine block that the piston fits into. Dual overhead cam, DOHC, a design that, in AV engine, includes four cams, also called a twin cam engine. Engine displacement the size of the engine given in cubic inches, cubic centimeters, and liters. It is found by multiplying the piston displacement by the number of cylinders the engine has. Sometimes called swept volume. Epitrochoid curve the circular movement around the perimeter of another circle. This is the movement that the rotary engine uses to ensure that the rotor stays in contact with the housing. Exhaust stroke the stroke of piston during which the exhaust valve is open and the piston is moving from bottom dead center to top dead center, to push exhaust gas out of the cylinder. External combustion engine an engine that runs on heat applied externally to the cylinder, for example, the steam engine. Flathead engine and L-head engine with valves in the block. Flywheel the heavy, circular fat plate that keeps the engine rotating when power is not produced, such as on the exhaust, intake, and compression strokes. Force the effort to produce a push or pull action. 
freewheeling engine an engine that has enough clearance between the piston and the valves so that in the event the timing belt or chain breaks, the valves that are hanging all the way open will not contact the piston, thus preventing engine damage. Fulcrum a half round bearing that the rocker moves on as a bearing surface. Horsepower and amount of work performed in a given time. Ignition the lighting of the fuel and air mixture in the combustion chamber. Intake stroke the stroke of the piston from top dead center to bottom dead center, during which the intake valve is open and air is pulled into the cylinder. Interference engine an engine that has minimum clearance between the valves and the pistons during normal operation, in the event that the timing belt or chain breaks, the open valves will be contacted by the piston and bend the valves, possibly breaking the piston. Internal combustion engine an engine that burns a fuel internally and creates movement due to thermal expansion of gases. Keepers locking devices that keep the valve retained by the valve spring seat. Lobe the raised portion on a camshaft, used to lift the lifter, and open the valve. Miller cycle an engine cycle that uses a longer exhaust stroke than intake stroke through delayed closing of the intake valve. This engine uses a supercharger to pressurize air into the cylinder when needed. Overhead cam, OHC, engine in a head engine with the camshaft located on top of the cylinder head rather than in the block. Parasitic loss a loss of engine efficiency caused by internal friction, inefficient breathing, etc. Piston displacement the volume of air that is moved by the piston from bottom dead center to top dead center. Piston stroke the up or down motion the piston makes from one limiting position to the other. Power the rate or speed at which work is done. Power stroke the stroke during which combustion is pushing the piston from top dead center to bottom dead center in the cylinder. This stroke is where power is produced. Push rod a tubular rod that stands between the tappet and the rocker arm in an overhead valve engine. The push rod transfers cam motion to the rocker arm. Reciprocating motion and up and down motion within the cylinder. Reed valve a small flexible metal plate that covers the inlet port of a two-stroke engine and opens and closes to let air and fuel into the crankcase. Rocker arm the fulcrum that transfers pushrod endwise motion to the valve stem. Rotary engine a non-reciprocating engine with a rotor and housing instead of pistons. Scavenging the process of removing burned gases from the cylinder through the use of moving airflow pulling or extracting the gases out. Spark ignition, C, engine an engine that relies on an electrical spark to ignite the air and fuel mixture. Stroke the movement of an object in a straight line. The piston sees four strokes during one combustion cycle in a four-stroke cycle engine, meaning it moves up and down twice during each cycle. Tappet another name for a valve lifter. Tappets may be fat or have rollers to ride on the cam lobes. Throw the offset area of the crankshaft where the connecting rod bolts on. Top dead center, TDC, the position of the piston when it is farthest from the crankshaft. Two-stroke engine an engine that uses only two strokes to complete its running cycle. Valve face a machined surface on the back of the valve head. This area seals onto the valve seat in the cylinder head. Valve guide an insert in the cylinder head through which the valve stem passes and moves. Valve lifter a device that transfers motion from the cam lobe to a push rod or directly acts on the valve and spring, depending on whether the cam is in the engine block or the cylinder head, sometimes called a tappet.
valve margin the flat surface on the outer edge of the valve head between the valve head and the valve face. Valve stem the shaft that is attached to the valve head and provides the sliding surface for the valve in its guide as it opens and closes. Volumetric efficiency a ratio, given as a percentage, of the amount of air actually inducted at a given engine speed at full throttle compared to the internal engine displacement. For a normally aspirated engine, without supercharging or turbocharging, an engine's volumetric efficiency may peak at around 85%. Peak engine torque is developed at peak volumetric efficiency. Work the result of force creating movement. Review questions. 1. When compared to internal combustion engines, the output of Stirling engines can be easily varied. Steam engines take relatively less time to generate pressure. Steam engines do not present an explosion hazard under too much pressure. Stirling engines run almost silently. 2. Choose the correct statement. For pressure to increase, either temperature must decrease or volume must be increased. For pressure to increase, either temperature or volume must be increased. For pressure to increase, either temperature must increase or volume must be decreased. For pressure to increase, either temperature or volume must be decreased. 3. The effort to produce a push or pull action is referred to as force, power. Work. Torque. 4. Which event occurs when the piston reaches TDC of the compression stroke? Ignition. Compression stroke. Exhaust. Intake. 5. The displacement of an engine can be altered by changing all of the below except cylinder bore. Type of fuel. Piston stroke. Number of cylinders. 6. In the Miller and Atkinson cycle engines, compression stroke is longer and expansion stroke is shorter. The combustion chamber is slightly bigger. The compression pressure at ignition is greater than in a conventional engine. Compression stroke is shorter and expansion stroke is longer. 7. Which of these converts the reciprocating movement of the pistons into rotary motion? Camshaft flywheel, crankshaft, piston ring, 8. Proper power output and low emissions operation of the engine is ensured by using pistons with an iron coating, timing the valve opening to the piston position, keeping the combustion pressure in check by letting it into the crankcase, decreasing the number of valves per cylinder, 9. The two-stroke engine differs from the four-stroke engine in all the below aspects except the events involved in the operation of the engine, the emissions produced by the engine, the method of air induction and exhaust, their production costs and size. 10. Which of the following statements is true with respect to a rotary engine? The rotor is mounted in a cylindrical housing. There is no reciprocating motion. The engine produces one power pulse per rotor rotation. The engine produces more vibration when compared to other ICEs. A's Technician A slash Technician B style questions. 1. Tech A says that as volume decreases, pressure increases. 
Tech B says that when temperature increases, pressure decreases. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B. 2. Tech B says that horsepower is a measurement simply of the amount of work being performed. Tech B says that horsepower can be calculated by multiplying torque by RPM and dividing by 5,252. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B. 3. Tech B says that in a four-stroke engine, the piston travels to TDC four times to complete the cycle. Tech B says that in a four-stroke engine, the air-fuel mixture is ignited once every two strokes. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B. 4. Tech A says that spark ignition typically occurs before TDC. Tech B says that spark ignition typically occurs during the intake stroke. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B. 5. Tech A says that valve overlap occurs between the exhaust stroke and the intake stroke. Tech B says that valve overlap occurs to assist in scavenging the cylinder. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B. 6. Tech A says that compression ratio is the comparison of the volume above the piston at BDC to the volume above the piston at TDC. Tech B says that scavenging of the exhaust gases occurs once the exhaust valve closes. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B. 7. Tech A says that the weight of the flywheel smooths out the engine's power pulses. Tech B says that the flex plate and torque converter perform this same function. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B. 8. Tech A says that an interference engine is designed so that the pistons can hit the valves if the timing belt breaks. Tech B says that the shape of the cam lobe determines how long and far the valves are held open. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B. 9. Tech A says that blow-by gases occur when compression and combustion gases leak past the piston rings. Tech B says that the upper two piston rings are oil control rings. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B. 10. Tech A says that the principle of thermal expansion is what pushes the piston down the cylinder on the power stroke. Tech B says that the crankshaft pulls the piston down the cylinder on the compression stroke. Who is correct? Tech A. Tech B. Both A and B. Neither A nor B.